your family. And so again, I'm Pastor Corey. It is always a privilege to just share God's Word, to be part of what God's doing here at Fellowship of the Rockies. And about a month and a half ago when Pastor Charlie came to me and asked if I'd be willing to speak today, I began to work on something that um, about a week and a half ago, God just began to wreck a little bit. And uh, the day or so before I was supposed to turn some things in for my outline and some, uh, for some of our life group writers. God just began to say, it's not what I want you to preach. I'm like, Lord, you, you don't understand. I've been working on this for over a month. I'm ready for this. I, I, this is where I want to go. And God just, just put it on my heart and said, no, that's, that's not what I want you to preach. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine, and he said, uh, you know, Corey, one of the things, one of the greatest things I think facing the church universal is this reality of fear and anxiety worry. And God just began to work that into my life and began to show me what that looks like, not for me just personally, but for the collective body. And when you ask that question, what does fear look like for you? What are you fearful of? For some of you, if I threw a spider out there in front of you, you'd probably climb on someone beside you. Or if I were to lock you in a dark room with no light, you'd probably begin to sweat or get anxiety. Or if I were to ask you to publicly speak in front of a large audience in the next couple of weeks. For some of you would think that would just be the end of it all. For me, it's heights. I don't do well with heights at all. Uh, for our family, during the middle of the summer, we had an opportunity to go together as a family to do some things out in Canyon City. And on our way back from Canyon City, there was this thought in the back of my mind that thinks, hey, you know, it would really be a cool thing for our family to do Skyline Drive. Some of you have been there. And I realized that this was one of the worst mistakes of my life about 15 yards into this road where there's a sign that says, one way only, no turning around. And as I recognized that sign, I began to realize that we're going up at a pretty quick clip. And I'm driving in my Jeep, and I've got my oldest daughter sitting beside me on my right hand. I've got my wife sitting right behind me, our two-year-old strapped in the middle, my oldest son sitting over on the right-hand side, and my nine-year-old Seth sitting clear in the back of the Jeep. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm not just scared of heights. I'm terrified of heights. And I realize as I'm going that I think we're moving pretty quick until I look in my rearview mirror and I see all these cars lining up behind me. And I start hearing honks. I'm thinking, I'm moving. I'm going. We're at two miles an hour. Leave me alone, you know. And, and I'm trying to get through this. And I say to myself, man, if you just stare at the side of the mountain on the left-hand side as you go up, everything's fine. And I'm going, and I'm going, and I am just certain my Jeep is going to fall off the side of this cliff. I'm going to kill all of my family. It's just all going to end in this moment. And we keep going, and all of a sudden, there's no more mountain on the right-hand side. There's nothing on the left hand, and now I'm just stuck in the middle of the road trying to stare at this yellow line. And my daughter is as scared of heights, I think, as I am, and she's about to crawl over the middle of the console, and we're both just trying to get through this. I'm staring at the yellow line, and my wife in the back says, hey, why don't you pull over so we can take some pictures? <laughs> and in the calmest voice I knew how to use, I said, if I stop, I don't know that I can start again. We get up to the point in which they can kind of pull off to the shoulder, which I knew was certain death by doing that. And she hops out, my son hops out, and they're running around that thing like, I'm just saying to my daughter, just look down, look down, they'll be back in a minute. And my wife comes back to the Jeep, she says, honey, go ahead and let me drive. I'm like, you don't understand, I can't get out. 
honey, just get out. And then she opens my door. And in that moment, I am clutching my daughter and I'm trying to think of what it's going to look like to step off the side of the cliff at this moment. And I start getting out of the Jeep and I am literally on the side of my Jeep, scooching down to this back door. And as I get to the back door, I open it up and I climb in and I am on top of my two-year-old in his car seat. My head is in his lap and he's sitting here hitting me in the back of the head and I'm just sitting here going, get us out of here. And I look up and there's a part of Skyline Drive where you hit the top and you have no idea what's on the other side. I knew what was on the other side. Nothing. You know, I just knew at this point we were going off this thing. It was all over. And, my, and I'm just sitting here hugging my two-year-old. And then my son, my nine-year-old, pokes his head over the back seat and in my ear says, hey, dad do you need to change your pants? <laughs> now let me just tell you, fear will cause you as a parent to do and say some things that are very uncharacteristic because in that moment I'm like, shut up, you know? And, and he, he gets this look of horror on his face and his lip begins to quiver and he starts crying in the back of the Jeep and I got my special needs kid over here with his eyes wide open like, what did dad just do? And I've still got my two-year-old hitting me in the back of the head and my daughter up in the front still just as scared clutching the console and here's my wife. You know the silent giggle where you're just bobbing up and down? She's just bobbing up and down trying to drive over Skyline Drive and I'm just sitting here thinking I ruined my kid and I'm yelling at people and I'm terrified in this moment and fear will cause you to do some crazy things. You ever been paralyzed by it? Crippled by it? I mean, when you think about circumstances in our life, what does fear do to you? When you see that term haunted, I mean, most of us, we associate that with, you know, Halloween, a haunted house, spirits, ghosts, something evil. But yet God used his word in 2 Timothy, when we see this young pastor getting words of affirmation, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control. That God's intent for the life of, his peer, life of his people was to give a spirit and to usher into our life a life of power, of victory, of joy. And this morning, I want to take an opportunity to look at the character of an individual that I think is really similar to us. For maybe many of you in this room, you'll really be able to identify with this young man. And we find his story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. A man by the name of Gideon. And some of you may be saying to yourself, that, that name sounds really familiar. And it's not the guy that left his Bible in your last hotel room. <laughs> Gideon was a guy that we see. <laughs> I'm glad somebody liked that. You know, Gideon was a guy that we see in the Old Testament that really understood what fear could do to his life. And this morning, I want to invite you to take your electronic device or your Bible and turn with me to the book of Judges in chapter 6. And here in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we read that again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, in the caves, in the strongholds. You read that, yet you read it, but without an understanding of some of the history behind it, it's, it's still a little lost on us. Because see, about 200 years prior to this verse, 
we recognize that the Israelites went up against the Midianites and, and really did a number on them. It devastated them. And for 200 years, the Midianites remembered this occasion. And over that period of time, the Israelites kind of got a little cocky. They began to demonstrate a lack of need of God's blessing. And God removed his blessing from the Israelite people, and they no longer continued to grow in number. But yet, when you look at history, you begin to see that the Midianites, they were growing like rabbits. I mean, their number were increasing rapidly. And in this season, the Midianites were not just simply increasing, they were increasing with a spirit of revenge. And the Midianites did something that historians uh, attribute to them that's very unique. And I promise you, this will, man, this will really rattle your spiritual foundation. The Midianites were attributed the domestication of the camel. Shaking, right? The earth shattering for us. The domestication of the camel. Well, big deal, Corey, right? See, what happened is that they didn't just domesticate the camel. They did it for a weapon of warfare. And they began to use the camel in a way that had never been used before in history, which allowed them to go further distances with troops and with, with items of, of warfare that no other people had ever been able to do. And for 200 years, this spirit of revenge was welling up in the Midianites. That when they came up against the Israelites, it wasn't just simply to, for revenge, it was for destruction. And we continue to read here that in Judges chapter 6, verses 3, it says, For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel, no sheep, no oxen or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they had waste, so they, they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. They were scared to death. At this point in time, they're living in poverty. They're living with so uh, with such a spirit of, of haunting fear. The Judges goes on to continue to share the story. And we see in chapter 6, verse 11, And now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabernacle at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What's going on here? Here we have a young man by the name of Gideon inside this, this structure. When you look at him, it's kind of a round colonnade type of thing that would go up on all sides. And they would typically put uh, forms of uh, fruit in it. And they would make their wine in it where they would crush this. That Where now it was so abandoned, it was so misused that they were throwing wheat in it. To thresh the wheat in fear that they would be found of seen. So they're doing this in secrecy. He's doing this out of fear for his life. He's doing this to simply provide a meager meal for his family. He's terrified. He's terrified. And what happens in this verse? The Lord 
is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What I love about this verse, what what I love that's happening right here, is that in Gideon's greatest insecurity, in Gideon's greatest fear, is when the Lord spoke into his life a word of power. In his greatest anxiety, God shows up and speaks out of his character into Gideon's life to remind him, you are mine. You are my chosen child of the king, O mighty warrior of valor. And as we look at that and we begin to understand what God's doing in his life, it's amazing how God sees in the life of Gideon something he can't even see in himself. How often has that been true for you, for for I? That God sees something in us that, that we struggle to believe or see in our own selves. Because the world, our culture, our families, our friends, our workplaces tell us so frequently how inept we are, how inadequate we are, how, how, how fallible we are. And in his greatest insecurity, God speaks into his life because he sees something in Gideon's life that is revolutionary to his future. It's no different than we see in the Apostle Paul's writings. I believe God's word is the greatest book history has ever known. But I also believe the greatest chapter in the greatest book is found in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes here to the church at Rome in chapter 8, verse 31, when he says, What then shall we say to these things? That if our God is for us, who can be against us? If our God is truly for us, who can be against us? A few moments ago, when we had the opportunity to join in the worship and song, that last song you sang, I lift my hands. See, that song was birthed out of a testimony by an individual by the name of Louis Giglio. And Louis Giglio, before it ever got to Chris Tomlin, was an individual that wrestles with anxiety, fear, and panic. And when Louis shares his testimony about that song, he would say that he would lay in bed at night so concerned about the future that all he could do is simply say, I lift my hands to you, God. And Chris Tomlin got a hold of this, and he began to pen some of these words out of Louis Giglio's testimony in penning, I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember What? That you are faithful. You are faithful, God. When? Forever. Why? Because his word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what does it continue to say? Let faith arise. Let faith arise. And we come together as a corporate body and we sing songs that demonstrate a people of faith. And yet at the end of that, when we return to our homes and we return to our workplaces and our lives, how many of us forget the words of let faith arise? I believe again. I believe that my God is faithful. I believe he is my refuge. I believe he is my strength. And we live out of a victorious life as children of the King. He's faithful. He is faithful. You are a mighty warrior. And as soon as God begins to stir that up in our lives, as soon as he begins to call us into areas of change and areas of of progress in our spiritual journeys, how often are we the first ones to say, oh, 
Well, Lord, Lord, I'm not certain about that. Well, I'm not so sure, God, that's, that's me you're talking to. And we begin to point out all the reasons why we're not the right person. And I believe it takes us to point number one this morning about fear. The fear causes us to believe that God is not going to be faithful. That God is not going to be faithful. Judges chapter 6 verse 13, it says, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But, but now the Lord's forsaken us, and he's given us into the hand of the Midianites. Now, what's interesting here is you recognize what Gideon's saying is that if you turn back just a couple of chapters, you realize that God had already sent the prophet. God had already sent a prophet to remind the Israelites that it was turn to tur- time to turn back to God. It was time for them to remember what God had done in their lives. And yet, the same questions out of the words that the prophet had spoken over Gideon and his people, he has the same questions that I believe you and I wrestle with from time to time. And that insecurity begins to well up in Gideon's life. And all of a sudden, hmm, it's hard for us to believe that God would be paying any attention to me. His questions are very revealing. See, he's questioning the character and the faithfulness of God in which so many of us, I believe, struggle with really in the core of of our heart at times to remember that my questions, how insecure are they? I mean, when you think about it, what do we say to God? God, I love you, but man, have you noticed that, I mean, I haven't really really prayed in like three or four days, and I mean, unless you count dinner, and then, you know, I I pray then, but but God, I haven't really spent any time with you in a few days. God, you know, that, that life journal thing we talk about at church, I just, I really struggle to be consistent with my life journaling, and, and God, you, you don't, you don't want this mess. God, you can't use this because, God, if you saw the way I parent sometimes, I mean, God, it just gets ugly. I mean, my four little demons, I mean, ch- children, they, they're, they're, they're so beautiful. But, man, I, sometimes as a parent, I so struggle. God, you, you can't use this. I mean, God, I, I love you, but, God, I, every time I pray, it just seems like the exact opposite happens. And, God, every time I, I take a few steps forward, I just seem like I've taken five or six backwards and, I'm just not, I'm not good at this Christian thing. And all of a sudden, we begin to present all of these insecurities that are rooted in fear. And Gideon, like so many of us, started to just simply question the faithfulness of God. And then we see in Judges chapter 6 there in verse 14, and the Lord looked at him. Some translations say the Lord turned to him. And said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And there's this thought that God looked at him and saw his insecurities and he affirmed him. He affirmed him in the moment of some of his greatest weakness and God spoke power over his mighty warrior. 
And then Gideon reveals his second insecurity. See, he revealed that fear, in point two, the fear causes us to believe that we're not good enough. See, in verse 15, Gideon goes on to say, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan's the weakest. They're the weakest in Manasseh, God, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the moment you sense that God's calling you to do something big, the moment you begin, he's, he's calling you into to purpose is when we present our resumes as to why we're the wrong person. God, I'm so spiritually inconsistent. God, I... God, I just... I struggle. God, I can't be the person you're choosing. God, you, you just can't use me. It's... It's somewhat humorous today, but back in high school when my family moved from Houston, Texas to a small town in the panhandle of Oklahoma, I used to tell people, I joke about it, that I graduated number 12 in my class. We only graduated 15, but (laughs) I graduated 12 in my class. And there was a season in which I I know people could laugh about that and that there's a season now that I can, but there was a time in which I really struggled to think that, you know, God, how how could you ever really use me for your kingdom when I I didn't do well academically? God, I struggled in my reading. God, I I struggled to make the grades. God, all I had going for me was that people kind of liked me. God, you can't, I, I can't do this. I'll never forget when my wife and I stepped out when we were uh, leaving Oklahoma that God had called us to plant a church in Denver, Colorado. I'll never forget that there were mentors and there were people of, uh, of faith that were speaking into my life saying, Corey, you don't do this. Corey, you've never been to Colorado. Corey, you're going to get up there. and Corey, if you're not careful, you're going to be bankrupt. Your marriage is going to be in shambles. Corey, if you, if you go to Colorado, you very easily may come back to us with nothing left. And my response then, I believe, is my same response today that I said in that moment, I may return back and I may be in a lot of trouble, but I'll know I went when he said go. I'll know in my heart that it may not have worked out how I see it, but I'll know in my heart I went when God said it was time to go. And 17 years later, I'm standing here today through God's grace and God's mercy, still preaching his word because in the little steps of obedience throughout this spiritual journey, God's begin to draw us a little further, a little further, and a little further into what I call the stupid zone. You know what the stupid zone is? The stupid zone is that place that you step into that you know if God doesn't show up, you're going to look pretty stupid. It's that idea that I am so dependent and I'm so reliant on what God's going to do that if he doesn't show up, I'm in a lot of trouble. And it's this idea of believing that the fear is not going to keep me from believing that God is still faithful. This week in your life groups, I want to challenge you. If you're a life group leader here this morning, I'd really like to see your groups this week challenge themselves with this question about what has fear kept you from doing that God's calling you to do? What has fear kept you from doing that God's calling you to do? And for maybe some of you in this room, it could be as simple as sharing your faith with a coworker. 
Now maybe God's put someone in front of you, a family member, a, a community member, or someone in your, your realm of influence that he's called you to share your testimony of faith as to what God's done in your life. That you just think about that, and even in your seat, your hands get a little sweaty, and, you, and your heart starts to beat a little faster, and you're thinking, Corey, share, share my faith. Maybe God's calling some of you to work in the ministries of our church. Maybe he's been putting on your heart each week when you've walked in that you, you see children's ministry rooms or children that line here in the front of our time of worship that he's saying that I'm calling you to, to work with a child in the life of Fellowship of the Rockies or, you know, those people that greet you so warmly when you walk in week in and week out. That he's calling you to, to work with our greeters ministry or he's calling you to work with our ushers ministry or our impact ministries or maybe calling you to go on an international global outreach trip. Maybe he's calling you to simply take your first step in, in real discipleship and pick up a life journal on your way out today and take it home and just begin to read God's word and let it soak into your life. Maybe God's calling you in small business. Maybe for years he's been putting on your heart the ability to start a business and you've simply looked at that of thinking of what it's going to cost you. Can you think of what would happen in the life of the church universal if we would stop asking the question of what it may cost us, but begin to work out of what we may gain? What would happen in the world around us if we moved into an understanding and a knowledge of the question being, what would the church gain? How would the kingdom be built versus what could it possibly cost us? And moving a mindset that that's, that sky is falling, the chicken little mentality, that the sky is always falling versus this reality that our God is faithful. And he is big and he is good. And what does it look like in your life, in my life, to step out and do what God's calling us to do? Maybe he's, he's calling you to take a step of obedience and baptism. Or maybe this morning, some of, you, some of you have been coming week in and week out and, and he's been drawing you. He's been calling you with his spirit to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. And yet the end of the service comes and it's so hard to let go of that seat and make your way forward to a prayer partner that can pray with you and help you understand what, it likes to re, what it's like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because it's amazing what fear will do to us as we begin to think about what it may cost us. And he's saying, hey, mighty warrior, man, woman of valor, I've got a purpose for you. But you see, there are two truths that we pull out of Gideon's story. The point number three, I believe a truth we pull out is that his strength through your weakness is exactly enough. His strength through your weakness is exactly enough. In Judges chapter 6, again in verse 14, it says, Then the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Have I not what? Sent you. In what? The strength, the strength that I'm giving you. Hmm. Am I not what? Am I not sending you? Gideon, hey, I know you're scared. I know you feel weak. You may even feel useless. But in your greatest weakness, I want to demonstrate just how much enough I am for you. See, I really believe it's important for, for us as followers of the king to remember that when he puts his name on the line, we best believe he'll deliver. 
Because God doesn't necessarily just call the equipped, but I can guarantee you his promises are that he will equip the called. And he will give you enough to be faithful in the areas that he's calling you to, that he will provide that power and that strength to be who he promises to be. But I also believe there's a truth number two this morning. That his strength through your weakness reveals his character. Where are you weak right now? And where's your greatest weakness when you really think about that? And understand it's a perfect place for God to show up and reveal his character. There in verse 16 it says, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. In the next verse, Gideon's still kind of freaking out when he says, And the Lord answers him, And God says, I will be with you. What? God says, I'll be with you. It's a a concept. It's a promise we see throughout all the pages of Scripture. We see it in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews when the author writes in chapter 13, verse 21, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Now we see it when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 when we see, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We see it in the Old Testament with the prophet Jeremiah. When we see in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too difficult for me? Isn't that a beautiful question? God's drawing out in the life of his people. Is is there anything too difficult for me? Is there anything beyond my character that I can't do in you and through you? Is there anything? And we see it again in Jeremiah just a few pages before that. In Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. Plans to give you a future. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's my provider. God's my redeemer. God is my strength. God is my provider, my defender, my strength. He is my source. He is my righteousness. That changes everything. See, for most of us in this room right now, if we were to ask, you know, you know some of those, those spiritual gift surveys, some of the things that we talk about that, that we ask people to identify what we're really good at. And we begin to look at those things and ask the question about, okay, God, I, I really, I'm really good in this area, so my thought process would lend itself to thinking, that must be how God's going to use me. Versus recognizing that, God, I, I've got real anxiety over here in this area of my life. And we say to ourselves, please don't choose that. Please, please don't call me into that arena because these are my strengths. And God, I'm really comfortable with this stuff over here. And I think I'm actually pretty good, God. But this is, don't ask me to work with children. 
God, I've said never so many times before, please don't make me work in the children's ministry. God, if, if I had to shake a hand to a stranger coming through the door of the church, I would be so sweaty I couldn't even attend worship afterwards. Don't ask me to do that. And we begin to question these insecurities in these places of fear in our life that prevent us from accepting God's character, his faithfulness, and his strength in our life. God sees something in you that no one else may see. And in your weakest moment, in your point of greatest weakness, that's where his strength and his power is most revealed. I'll never forget, shortly after moving to Pueblo, uh, we lived in a house there in Pueblo West by Cedar Ridge Elementary School, and uh, we had attended, we had gone to the YMCA one afternoon, and my son, uh, Seth, got his first experience on the climbing wall. And if you know my son, he's pretty much all about extreme. I mean, he's just, he's, he's wound up. God bless him. You know, that southern expression, God bless his heart. You know, and he got a taste on that climbing wall. And I'll, I'll never forget one morning on Saturday morning, we had just been to the Y a few days earlier, and the Texas Longhorns were playing on football or a football game, and I was sitting there in the basement watching. And, and I remember that Seth came out of his room and ran up the store, stairs because his room was right off of the basement. And no big deal. I just continued to watch and... He had asked earlier in the day, can we go to the Y? I'm like, nah, I said, son, the game's on. I just, I, if you don't mind, can I just stay home and watch the game? And he runs up the stairs, and about five, ten minutes later, my son comes out of his room again and runs up the stairs. And I'm like, I just didn't remember seeing him coming back downstairs. And a few minutes pass by, and my son comes out of his room again and runs up the stairs. And at this point, I'm thinking, man, am I, am I so into this game that I totally miss the fact my kid keeps coming down the stairs? And he comes out of his room again. And at this point, I'm like, okay, something, something's up. And so I follow him, and I go up the stairs, and I look through the window, and my son is using the retaining wall on the side of the house to get up on the roof. And, and I come out of this moment, and I realize as I back up, and I look at the top of the roof that my son had taken a garden hose from the garage, and he had tied it off on the heating pipe that comes out of the top of the roof. And he is now tying it around the race, and he is rappelling down the side of the house into his window well to go through his window to go back up the stairs to do it again. <laughs> and so I see my son with the hose tied around him as he's about to hop off the edge, and I'm like, what are you? Wow, that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> And in, my, in this moment of parenting, at this time, I'm thinking to myself, man, I gotta stop him from doing that. I gotta, man, I gotta put my foot down and I just need to lay into him because that's, that, that's my fear. I, I'm gonna speak my fear over the life of my child so that he'll choose not to do something because dad's scared of that versus recognizing a moment where, you know what, if I do this right, I might actually be able to help my child operate in some of the giftings and some of the ambition that God has wired him with to do it safely and be who God's called him to be in his nature. I may be shaking out of my boots as he does it, but at the same time, who in my life, who in your life speaks their fears over you to prevent you from being who God's called you to be? How often do we speak that over the life of other people before we recognize that we're crippling them from recognizing the character and the faithfulness of God as he calls them into some great things? And I recognized in that moment, as a dad, it's tough to let my kid go. It's tough to let him be how God's wired him to be. How do we do that in the church? 
some of you today may be saying that, you know what, I, Pastor Corey, I really am affected by this. Pastor Corey, I'm, I'm so affected by it to the point I, I even have to see my doctor. I mean, Pastor Corey, I, I'm on medication because I can't sleep at night and I have a hard time eating. I have a hard time functioning because tomorrow is, is such a burden in my mind. It's such a burden on my heart that, Corey, man, I, I really struggle to look forward to the future. I really struggle to think that this is gonna, there's going to be something more than what today holds. And I want to tell you today, God's got victory for you. God's got hope and purpose and joy that he has called you to live a life and live it abundantly through the name of Jesus Christ. As an adoptive father, as I look at my two boys that we've adopted and I recognize what it means for them to be part of our family, for them to be carrying the name of their father, of their mother, to be a Bushonic in our household means that they're not just simply living under our roof. They are part of our family and recognizing that my king has adopted me. In the wreck of this life, he not only adopted me, he chose me, he gave me his name and called me to be part of his kingdom. He said, you're mine. And he's saying to you today, you are his. You mighty warrior of valor. Be what I've called you to be. Do what I've called you to do. Don't let fear paralyze you anymore. Don't let it capture you anymore. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me in this moment. And in just a moment, our prayer partners are going to make their way down after I pray. And whatever it is that God's saying to you today, whether it's knowing Him as your personal Lord and Savior, or it's stepping out and just being prayed over in the areas of your life that just seem uncertain today. Whatever that is for you today, I'm going to ask you to step out and find a prayer partner here at the front and allow them to speak a prayer of hope, of power, of wisdom, of joy over you this morning. Father, you're good. And Lord, I love the fact that your word reminds us that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, the thought that you're not done with us, you're not finished, you've not written us off, that, Father, today we can rejoice over the fact that you're not shaming us, you're not guilting us into knowing you deeper, but yet you're simply, you're simply calling. You're reminding us today of who we are as your children. But Lord, let us be faithful in those areas. Father, let us with joy run into an understanding of your character, your righteousness. Lord, I'm grateful that your word is filled with so many promises. The page after page reminds us of your faithfulness. Lord, my prayer today is that no one would leave this place with unfinished business that you're calling them to. That if they need to go home and begin to write that out and they begin to flesh that out personally and with a friend or a, a ministry partner, whatever that looks like, Lord, I, I ask that you would give them the strength and the courage to be faithful in that calling today. Father, change us. Renew us. Remind us of that nature, Lord, that you've redeemed within us. I thank you, Lord. In your son's matchless name I pray. Amen.